Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. So if you open your Bible, we're going to be in Hugh 7 today. My name's Kevin Choate, and I am the college pastor. And I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. We're going to open God's Word and hopefully learn something from it. But we are wrapping up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Since the beginning of this semester, we've been going through this passage. And really what we've been learning is what a kingdom citizen really looks like. And today is the application portion of Jesus's sermon, okay? So it's the end, and that's kind of where we're getting getting to, okay? But glad you guys are here. Hope we have some great discussion at our tables and everything. So to begin, I'm going to start with a story about, is anyone familiar with the Great Awakening in the 1700s? Okay. So during the Great Awakening, there was a famous preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards, And he had a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And if you ever want to read a sermon and just be terrified at the reality and the possibilities of hell, this is the sermon, okay? This was the sermon about fire and brimstone and all the the classic things um, that you want to think of whenever you hear that. And it is a much different message than the type of message that you would hear today in our larger culture, right? When people are looking for a church or whenever they're going to a church, they're going to evaluate the sermon not on if it reminded them of their great need for a Savior, but rather if it inspired them, if it motivated them to live their best life or to do uh, certain things or uh, achieve certain goals in their lives. It's a massive 180 today because some even deny the existence of a real, literal hell. But even more than that, they avoid the reality that judgment is actually coming one day. The street preachers, though I may not agree with their methods, recognize the reality that judgment of our lives, though not the best motivator, is a needed reminder that the choices we make in this life, they actually matter. And one day we will answer for them. Jesus didn't shy away from letting his followers know, his listeners know, the seriousness of judgment. And in closing the Sermon on the Mount, that will be the focus in view today. That judgment is actually coming. And he helps these hearers understand the importance of actually applying his words. Not just listening to them, but actually living it out. It is a call to both the heart and the will. As John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, and what Jesus says before he begins the Sermon on the Mount is something that we should often think to ourselves and remember each and every day because often we just kind of go about our day. But what did John the Baptist and Jesus say? They said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Each day, you and I, we wake up. Each day, you and I, we make choices. And throughout this sermon that we have been studying over this semester, Jesus has defined the law and he has shown us what the standard of God's righteousness actually is. And based on the words of Jesus, we have come to the reality that we do not fit that standard. We cannot meet that standard, okay? There's nothing that we can do on our own that, sh- that will achieve the righteousness 
of God. Our choices show that we stand condemned. We are guilty before God. And because of that, what we have earned is eternal separation from God. But the good news is that you are here today by God's grace. And God's grace is enormous and it's big. And the fact that you are here today is hopefully going to give you some hope in the face of the coming judgment one day and that hope of Jesus Christ. In the final words of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, on the Mount Jesus is going to impress upon his hearers the reality that judgment is coming. And he uses a few examples to kind of illustrate this reality. And these examples show that because God is just and will judge all of us one day, we must apply Jesus' sermon by repenting and placing our faith on him to enter the kingdom. So he closes this, this sermon not by encouraging or reminding, but telling us the importance, the importance of actually living out and applying the words of this sermon. Like I said, it is not enough just to change our heart, but we must change our will as well. So number one, we're going to be talking about because judgment's coming, we should choose the narrow gate. Because judgment's coming, we should be the good tree. And number three, because judgment is coming, we should build on the firm foundation. So our choices matter. And today Jesus has brought us to a decision point. What will we choose? You have to answer that for yourself today. So we're going to begin in verse 13, reading about the narrow gate. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. My first point today is that Jesus encouraged us to choose the narrow gate. In this section about two gates, Matthew focuses on the two alternative choices, the wide gate and the narrow one. Jesus first focuses on the wide gate. What are some characteristics of this wide gate? Well, it's easy. Many people will enter it, yet it leads to destruction. Contrastingly, the narrow gate is hard. Only few will enter it. But what does it lead to? It leads to life. It leads to life. The narrow gate is the life that Jesus has been describing this entire sermon. Do you see how difficult this life is? Do you see how impossible it is? Enter through here, okay? And it's hard because of this high standard of righteousness. And, it, and it's not just what we've learned is it's not just our actions, but the heart and the motives behind the actions, right? Yet this life only comes by not our effort, not our hard work, but by living by the power of the Holy Spirit, which only comes, which is only received by placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone to save us from our sin. It is hard, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, it is the path that leads to life. Now the wide gate is the life that indulges the desires of the flesh. So the wide gate is the path that indulges in the desires of the flesh. It does what our selfish motivations crave. It does what we want to do when we want to do it. And this is the path that not only leads to eternal destruction, but it is the life that leads to 
present destruction. And we all know this to be true. When we are living in sin, when we are doing things that we know in our conscience is wrong, we face the consequences. You can think of this past week. You can think of this past month, this semester. There's something probably where you are facing the consequences of your sin. But if we choose the narrow gate, what does that lead us to? Not destruction, but to life. Now, oftentimes when we think about this, we can kind of get discouraged because we look at our life and we see, man, I think I think I may have gone on the wide, gone through the wide gate. I think I chose the easy way. I look at my life and I see how I've sinned. Am I stuck on this path? And we think of it as a fork in a road, right? We see the picture and there's the wide gate and then there's the narrow gate. And we think if I've already gone down the wide gate, what can I do? Well, I don't think that's the best way of looking at this. I think the best way of looking at this is to view the wide gate more as a highway full of people and there are exits all along the way. Exits all along the way to turn away, to turn off of that. I was going to show this later, but this this is what we should be doing, right? When we're on the highway that leads to destruction, we should turn off, okay? (laughs) The Israelites were people that knew the narrow gate. These were people that knew the narrow gate. And at one time, Solomon had finished building the new temple and God was about to move in. And God says to Solomon something that really reveals a lot about his character. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14. God shows that he is a forgiving God. He is a forgiving God. That like the Israelites, we can pray, humble ourselves, and seek God, repent from our wicked ways, and through our faith in Christ and his sacrifice, we can be forgiven. See, in 1979, rock band ACDC released the song Highway to Hell. You guys may have heard it. And the lyrics open with living easy, loving free, season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing that I'd rather do. Going down, party time, my friends are going to be there too. I am on the highway to hell. When you read those words out loud, separate from the, the fun beat and the good music, you realize something really sad. Realize something really sad. An anthem about indulgence. An anthem about living wild in our sin. And yet it's a tongue-in-cheek response to the judgment that awaits. I'm on the highway to hell and I don't care. But the reality, what we all experience, is that we at, all po- at one point in all of our lives, some of us, all of us, have experienced this highway. We have been on the highway to hell. Our actions, our choices were leading down a path that ultimately would be for our destruction. Yet, if we've trusted in Christ, we have taken that exit. Let's throw it back up again. This is what it looks like. We're going fast down the highway to hell, and when we choose and recognize that our sin has separated us from God, 
that this is not the path I want to go anymore. When God changes our heart and we turn away from our sin and go down the narrow gate, this is what it's like. I don't want to live that way anymore. Let's be like this car when we see the exit. When God calls on our heart to turn away from our sin, let's act on that prompting. It's not tomorrow. It's not one more time. It's not next time. Don't wait one more moment to go down the narrow gate. It may be hard, but it leads to life. And that gate is Jesus. This is what Jesus says in John 10, 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. We should choose the narrow gate because through Jesus and only Jesus, we find life. Next, let's look, like, look at what it looks like to be the good tree. To be the good tree tree. So Jesus begins this section with a warning. Warning in verse 15. Beware. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets, like those on the wide path, are selfish. These are the people who are self-serving and distort and manipulate God's divine revelation to be something other than what it is. To platform themselves or to essentially make their name great. So how do we know who are false prophets? How do we determine who are people who are twisting God's divine revelation? How do we make that judgment without being judgmental? Last week we talked about how a judgmental, condescending attitude is not the way of the Christian, yet Jesus still tells us to beware false prophets. We have to make a judgment, but the way in which we do so is important. The next section, he brackets with this phrase. How do we do this? You will recognize them by their fruit. You will recognize them by their fruit. Verse 16, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Through this passage, what Jesus does is he helps us see that over time, the fruit that people produce is typical of the type of person that they are. We know that an apple tree and an orange tree is such not by digging up the roots and looking at the complex root system and and saying, yep, that's an orange tree root system. Or by taking a sample, taking it to the lab and saying, oh, that's an apple tree. How do we determine what an apple tree and an orange tree is? We look at its fruit. What is it producing? See, it's not good to judge only by appearance because what what is the false prophet described as in this section? A diseased tree. A diseased tree. How do we know it's diseased? It's not good to judge only by appearance. In another parable in Matthew, the parable of the wheat and tares, what we see is that uh, there is a farmer and he plants good wheat in his field. 
Yet someone comes behind him and plants tons of tares. And I want to show a picture of what they look like. You cannot tell a difference between what wheat and tares look like. They look identical. In that parable, the wheat, which represent the the righteous, are gathered in the barn while the tares are burned. And the point is this in both, both situations. It doesn't matter how you appear. It doesn't matter how you appear, what you look like, the performance that you put on on Sunday. It matters who you are. It matters who you are. Have you been fundamentally changed by Jesus? It matters if your heart has been made new. It doesn't matter if you look religious, if you dress the part, if you say the right words, if you know the right lingo, if you say the right prayers. What matters is our heart. It doesn't matter what we appear. It matters what, who we are. Now, like all analogies, they break down at some point, at some point, right? Some people have interpreted this passage that once you become a Christian, you will never sin again. And people say, well, I sin. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? I don't think that's what Jesus is getting across. Let's use a quick example. Do Christians lie? Yes. Do non-Christians tell the truth? Yes. So it's not necessarily saying that Christians can't sin and non-Christians can't do what's right. But what it's doing is a general truism that the type of fruit that people typically bear is indicative of who they are on this inside, right? It's a general truism. He's trying to help us here see that the collective fruit of a person over a long period of time reveals who they actually are. So how are we to, to judge false teachers and determine whether or not this person or these people are ravenous wolves, as Jesus describes, without being judgmental? Well, we don't look at one tweet or one sermon clip or one thing and just condemn their Christian identity and say, this person is a false teacher. But we look at their collective fruit. What is the fruit of their ministry? What is the fruit of their teaching? See, I've used this before, but I think it's so important for you guys as college students to develop this habit. Someone is teaching is true or not. How do you know? What is your standard and barometer of truth? That is something that you have to figure out because there will be people who will say things that tickle your ears. They'll say things that sound good. They'll say things that sound persuasive and sound right. But the standard of what is true is not what we think, but what is true. So if the Bible is truly God's word, if it is truly the revelation of God about God, then that is our foundation. That is what we base our truth on, right? So how do you know if something is biblical or not? What do you do? Read the Bible. You have to know your Bible. Know your Bible. If you haven't read your Bible front to back, that's okay. Start today. Start with Matthew. Start with Genesis. Just read the Bible. Because the only way you're going to be able to tell if something is from God or not is to test it against what has been deemed God's word. And I want you to do this with me too. Be like the Bereans. Be like the Bereans. In Acts, the Bereans were a group of people that were being taught to by the apostles. And what did they do when they heard the teachings of the apostles? They tested it according to the scriptures. 
They heard what was said and they went and found it in God's word. I want you guys to do that with me too. I am not the, the, the person who creates truth. I'm just someone, I'm a, I'm a messenger. I'm a herald. I'm someone who's just telling what has already been revealed by God. I am under God's authority, under the word's authority. It is my guide and it should guide all of us to what is true, good, and beautiful. Not the world, not anything else. There are also other people who are far from God. Far from God. Next, Matthew 7.21 continues this idea. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this is what I want to say. Admiration is not lordship. Admiration is not lordship. Just because you love and like the idea of Jesus doesn't mean you love Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. To Jesus, there is action behind our thoughts, our hearts. It's not just our heart saying, I love Jesus. If we truly love Jesus, we follow him. Lordship is not admiration. It is obedience. Even the things we don't like. Even the things we're like, oh, I wish that wasn't in there. Full obedience. He is our Lord. God knows best. And this idea of saying, I never knew them. You know, I think this can kind of trip us up. Doesn't God, doesn't Jesus know everyone? And he does, but not everyone knows Jesus, right? You can read about him. You can go to church, but you can never, you could never have a relationship with Jesus. The only way in which we can know Jesus, the way he's talking about here, is through a personal relationship. That comes from repenting from our sin and turning to God, depending on him in faith to save us in Christ alone by faith alone. Just like the narrow path, the way to becoming a good tree, it's not anything we can do on our own, but it's something that can only come through Jesus. Jesus heals us and is the one who produces the good fruit. He says in John 15, 5, a similar passage, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's discuss this at our tables. Okay, I've got three discussion questions for you. In your experience, does what Jesus say about the wide gate hold true? Many are on it. It's easy and it leads to destruction. In your experience, does that hold true? In contrast, if you have gone through the narrow gate, how have you found life? Number two, how well do you know your Bible? How can knowing your Bible help you identify false teaching and avoid it? And number three, read John 6, 28 through 29. What does this passage say about doing the work God requires? What power helps us live a holy life? Let's talk about these things for the next 10 minutes or so. All right, so we talked about choosing the narrow gate, being the good tree, and we recognize that both of those only come through Jesus. Finally today, Jesus ends by contrasting hearing and doing. 
After contrasting those who say one thing and do another, Jesus will depict what it looks like for those who only hear and don't apply. This is the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look at all the things I told you. If you don't apply what I said, you are foolish. Okay, that's what he's basically saying. So one thing that's been said that has really helped me is that sermons are more than just a data dump. Okay, it's not just about information. It's not just about stories. It's not just about application. It's not just about all of the things to do, but it is about life transformation. And so when Jesus is giving this sermon, he hopes that not only are our, are our hearts changed, but also that our lives would change, that they would look different, that people would be able to see our lives and see that we are not like the world. And that comes by building our life on something that is true, something that is firm, that will not fade. And that is the firm foundation. And he says this in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Not only should we choose the narrow path, be the good tree, but we should also build on the firm foundation. As this sermon closed, Jesus, who was a carpenter, would have used an illustration that would have been so vivid in his mind. He was someone who built structures. And in, in the area in which he lived, there was a lot of rainfall. Okay, So he knew the importance of building something on a firm foundation. Now, when I say the word foundation, what do you guys think of? Just think of the answer in your head. Okay, girls, you probably are thinking of makeup, right? Am I right? No? Dang it. Okay, I thought you might. Anyway, guys, you probably were thinking construction. So <laughs> the same principle, I don't know anything about makeup, all right? So y'all correct me if I'm wrong. Y'all correct me if I'm wrong. With foundation, this was the first Google image, okay? So I don't know if this is a good one or not. It's, it's I, okay. So with foundation, is this correct? This is just me using like this and this. If you don't use foundation, does the rest of the stuff like not work? No? Okay. It's important though, right? You start with the foundation. Yes, you start with the foundation. You serve? Is that? I don't know. Also, with a house, listen up, the, the house, if you don't have a foundation, it's going to be bad. If you have a bad foundation, <coughs> excuse me, it's going to be bad. Me and my house, we have been having some issues with our foundation. It has not been good. The slab is, as the guy said, yeah, it's sinking. Not good. Not good. So we're going to get it fixed and everything. But it has made me realize the importance on which we build things. Because if it's built on something that is unstable, and if you have a house ever in the state of Oklahoma, it will be built on something unstable. It's called clay. Okay, Oklahoma clay is the worst because it expands really big and then it retracts really small. 
And what that does is it shifts the ground underneath it. And so when we think of foundation, everything is built on that. Everything is built on that. If you have a poor foundation, your floors won't be level. Your cabinets are going to separate. You're going to have sinking floors. You're going to have uh, pictures that are hanging sideways. If you don't have a solid foundation, everything else falls apart. So what is the foundation that Jesus is referring to? It is his very words. It is his very words. So whenever we hear this, whenever we are listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we can't just be like, that's a good word, Jesus. Man, that was encouraging. That was inspiring. But it should change us. It should change our hearts and it should move us to build our lives on something so solid, so sure. In this example, the test that comes is not the appearance, is not if it looks good on the outside, it's not if it was painted pretty, but if it holds up when the future judgment comes. This is, all of these examples are about when future judgment comes, what will you have chosen? Today we have seen that it doesn't matter how things appear, but how they actually are. Similarly, it doesn't matter how a house looks. It matters on what it's built on. Later, Jesus will call himself the rock. Later, Jesus will call himself the rock. And I don't think that's any accident. If our lives are not built on Jesus, the words of Jesus, the work of Jesus, then our house, our life will fail. We have to build our house, our life on Jesus and his words. Let those be our guide. Not just liking Jesus, but loving him by actually following him. Guys, we know that a future judgment is coming, but the reality is that your faith could also be tested tomorrow. Tomorrow. You could have someone ask you a question that you don't know the answer for. You could have a tragedy happen in your life. You could have something in your life where your faith you could have a crisis of faith. If it is built on your parents' faith, if it's built on logic, if it's built on knowledge or apologetics, if it's built on philosophy or emotion or just doing it because your friends are, then that foundation may crumble. But if it is built on the true Jesus, his true words, and the true event, the historical event that is objectively true, that Jesus died on the cross and that he was resurrected, that our faith is built upon, if those things are our foundation, then we can test the hardest, then we can handle the hardest tests. That's the only way that our foundation can be sure, if it is built on the person and work of Jesus Christ, or in other words, the gospel. The good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That the wages of sin was death, but the gift of God was eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That if anyone were to confess him as Lord, confess their sins and, and say that Jesus is my Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, that they would be saved. The gospel is that for God so loved the world that he loved you, that whoever, whoever believed on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If our life is based on that, and not just the benefits, 
the friends, the social engagement that we have at church. But if it was based on the reality that I was a sinner and now I am eternally saved, that I will be with my heavenly father one day, that I will be with my savior one day. If it's based on that, that's a faith that can last. That's a faith that can handle the storms. Today, we have seen that judgment is coming. And Jesus has encouraged us to choose the narrow gate, be the good tree, and build on the firm foundation. And because God is just, He will judge all of us one day. And because of that, we must apply the words of Jesus. Repent from our sin and put our faith in Him to enter the kingdom. If that's true, don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait another second. Repentance is a daily, momentary action. So let's turn away from what is wrong and trust in Jesus today, tomorrow, and the rest of our days. Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you for this truth. Thank you for the words that the Apostle Peter wrote down. Lord, that we can learn from those today and be changed by them. God, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. That we would love our Savior Jesus by obeying him. I pray that our lives would look markedly different from the world, that we would be going down the narrow gate, that we would produce good fruit, and that our foundation would be firm. We pray all this in your Holy Son's name. Amen. All right, guys, got three more questions to talk for you. Number one, what role, what role does the Bible play in your life in determining truth? If it is the word of God, how should we treat it? Read Matthew 4.4. 4. Number two, has your faith ever been tested? What did that look like? And number three, read Luke 11.28. What role does our will or our actions, our choices play in following Jesus? Let's talk about that, guys.